we sang about it today, but do you remember the story of Isaiah chapter 6? The prophet tells us about when he was caught up into the Lord's heavenly temple. And he describes looking and seeing the Lord sitting on the throne, surrounded by seraphim. Seraphim are angels with six wings, two covering their faces, two covering their feet, and two used for flying. And they were singing, these seraphim, these angels were singing so loud, the temple shook. And do you remember what they were saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We're told over and over again through the scriptures that God is holy. So what does holiness mean? The word holiness literally means something else. However you want to describe God with whatever words you want to use, no definition can be adequate or perfectly accurate. God will always be something else. Whether we're talking about his essence, his nature, his character, we don't have the words. God is holy. But you and I are also called to be holy, which means that we're called to be like him. And that that works out in two ways. We're holy because he's called us. He's set us apart. That's something that's true of you. The moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are holy, set apart. You have a different purpose than the world around you. But the second way that this works out is that we are called to grow in holiness. So God has has done one part of it. We are holy, we're different, we're set apart. But, But we're also called through the power of the Holy Spirit to become like Jesus. Not in power, not in his nature, but in his character, in his desires, And that holiness is not something that you can grow in on your own. It's part of following Jesus and it comes from his spirit. And so we grow in holiness when we do two things. First, we have to remember his presence. And that remembering isn't just a a fact in the back of your mind, the way you remember things you read in a book or saw on television. This is an active Remembering a looking for and paying attention, a remembering that he's there always. In your greatest moment, in your darkest moment, he's never far. He's always present. And then the second part of this is that we practice his presence. Or you could say that we respond to his presence. We don't just hold our attention on him. We respond to him. We live as though he's there. And so this brings us to our single sentence sermon summary that followers of Jesus must hold on to holiness, which is what happens when we remember and practice his presence. We must hold on, grasp hold of holiness. And that comes from remembering and practicing his presence. Now, we're going to talk more about the practicing part of that in a moment. But, but we remember his presence because if we believe that he is far away, if we lose track 
of that or lose sight of him. If we, if we believe that he's not present in every aspect of our lives, then we will not grow. Something that's absolutely true of the human heart is that it's fragile and fickle. And so we have to continually remind ourselves of the things we believe in order for them to stay present in our lives. But this can be hard. I remember being about 19. I'd been a Christian for about a year. And I remember thinking what I really needed for all my doubts to go away, to never struggle again. I just needed God to pull open the heavens and put his face down and say, Clayton, I'm here. And you know, if he would just do that one thing that I could never deny happened, that I'd never lose track of, then I would never have a hard time remembering or responding to his presence again. Maybe some of you have felt exactly the same way. God, why don't you just show me, really show me? Have you? Have you ever struggled with that? Have you ever wondered if God really was near And maybe you've got the same reasons to believe that you've always got. Nothing's changed, just something in you struggles to feel like God is there. If you can relate to that, then you know what it's like to be God's people in Exodus chapter 32. And we're going to go through a little bit of a journey on our way there, but we're going to get to Exodus 32. It'll be up here. You can also turn in your Bibles for when we get there. And I'd like to start by by kind of setting the scene, right? I want to set the scene where where God speaks the Ten Commandments to his people. Now remember, they they were camped at Mount Sinai. They traveled there after a long and arduous journey, after being freed from Egypt, being led by the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke. Then the Red Sea is parted and they're led to Mount Sinai. And God descended in a black cloud and a storm from the mountain. And he spoke the Ten Commandments directly to them. And I, I, want, you to, I want you to really get that because we miss it a lot of the times. God literally comes down in a dark, storm-filled cloud and speaks to them the Ten Commandments. And they rejoiced with excitement. They wanted nothing other than to hear him and be near him from then on, Right? No, actually the presence of God was very terrifying. Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 to 20 says this. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled. And they stood far off and they said to Moses, Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen. But do not let God speak to us, Moses, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, and that you may not sin. Now, there's something that's important here I really want to draw your attention to. The specific reason that God came down the mountain was to make them remember that he was there. He says, don't sin. He literally peels back the sky brings his presence down and says, don't forget I'm here. But that wasn't all. He gives them another reminder. Exodus chapter 24, verses 15 to 18 say this. After all this happens, then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. 
And the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. So the cloud comes down on the mountain and just hangs out for six days. And then Moses is called to walk into it. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. We have a picture of what this would have maybe looked like. There's a mountain and God's people are camped in front of it. And and God's presence is so present in darkness and light. There's no better way to describe it than as though the mountain were on fire. The mountain is on fire. He leaves them a reminder they could never lose track of. If you're camped at the foot of a mountain and it's on fire like a torch, you're going to remember the reason. Now, I know that Pastor Ben's going to talk about this a bit next week, but but I want to drive this home. I want you to picture this. If you've been to a mountain before, they're not small things. They're massive things. They're camped at the foot of a mountain, and the mountain is on fire. So they don't forget that God's presence is there. So they remember him. And now, are you ready for one of the saddest stories in the entire Bible? It's Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 6. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, and they said to him, Get up. And make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand. And fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now remember, these are the same people who saw God's power so brilliantly displayed in Egypt. Through plagues and pillars and the parting of the Red Sea, how could they fall so far, so quickly. Just as a side note, this is one of the reasons I cannot stand the phrase, follow your heart. The youth group has probably heard me say this a hundred times. I can't stand the phrase, and our culture is saturated with it. There's a problem with following your heart. Your heart is fickle. It's fragile. It's prone to be deceived. God never, ever, calls us to follow our heart. 
That's why he gave his people the, the fifth commandment to honor their father and mother, to trust someone wiser than themselves. That's why he's given us the Bible, his word for us to go to, the thing to trust more than we trust ourselves. My heart is going to lead me wrong. And I need to follow something that's more trustworthy than that. And so what comes next is a story of what happens when we allow our hearts to lead the way. When we fail to remember the presence of God. Just like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, so the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. They allowed their hearts to fall away from God and lead them to spiritual ruin. Now, I try to imagine what it's like to be one of God's people in this story. I try to imagine I'm an Israelite. Now, I'd like to invite you to join me in that because on the front of it, it's so hard to understand how in 40 days could they fall away into something so terrible. So I'd like us to pretend to engage our imaginations just a little bit. So we are Israelites and we're camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. And the mountain is on fire. But 40 days goes by, and 40 days is a lot of downtime. For the first few days, I imagine that everyone is just waiting expectantly. We've seen this God deliver us in amazing, powerful ways. The mountain is on fire. He just spoke to us. Moses has gone up for a few days. We're just waiting for him to come back down. I imagine some of us would even be, would be lookouts. They'd be watchmen. They'd go to the foot of the mountain and, and just wait for any sighting of Moses. But after a few days, regular life starts to be a worry again, right? And we're just supposed to wait. For goodness sakes, ask us to do anything but just to wait. Because real life happens. Like maybe my wife gets the flu. Or, or maybe the kids in the camp are just running around like crazy people. And then I start to wonder. I start to wonder if I should expect God to take care of me or not. I mean, yeah, the mountain's on fire. But, but it's almost like he doesn't care that things are still happening down here. And this goes on, I imagine, for a few weeks. And then one day, what if a, a group of riders comes through the desert and somebody hears them and kind of sounds the alarm because we think maybe Pharaoh's army has come back again. And it turns out not to be the case, but all of us are left with this bone-chilling revelation. We, here at the foot of this mountain, are vulnerable I mean, what if Adam and Eve's, or what if uh, Pharaoh's army really does come? How long is it going to take them to regroup and to be really, really angry? I mean, yeah, the mountain's on fire, but the fire is just sitting there. Now it's been a month. It's been a month. And that, that mountaintop experience that we've all, we've all been having since we let, we've left Egypt is now the Valley of Sinai. I mean, I don't feel God's presence anymore. It's been a month since he's done anything to show me he's there. I mean, yeah, I can see a, a fire on the top of the mountain, but the fire is just sitting there. And yeah, I remember God coming down from that mountain, and I remember that he was terrifying, and I remember that we asked Moses to talk to him for us, but I 
don't feel God with me anymore. And then someone, you know, just someone in the camp, he asked the question that all of us have been thinking, but no one has said, what if Moses is dead? There's a big fire up there. What if that fire has nothing to do with God? And Moses just went up the mountain and died in a fire. I mean, it's been a month. It's been longer than we can ever be expected to just sit and wait. And Moses hasn't come back yet. How long should we wait before we just assume he's gone? That it's over? I mean, Joshua went up with him, right? If Moses is fine, why doesn't he just send Joshua down to tell us everything's Okay. And then we start to get mad. It's been a month. Can you feel it? It's been a month. If Moses is okay, then he's not the kind of person we want to follow anymore. How long are we supposed to sit and wait? And how am I supposed to feel like I'm one of God's people if Moses is the only one who gets to speak with him, who gets to spend time with him, and now I'm aggravated and I'm jealous and I want to feel like I'm one of God's people again? So a bunch of us, we talk about this and we go up to Aaron because Aaron left him in charge. And we say, Aaron, we want to feel like God's people again. The Egyptians... They always feel close to their gods. Aaron, I don't want to be here small while my God is huge and far away. I want my God to be small and in front of me whenever I want him to. Make us something like that, Aaron. We want to feel close to God again. And you know what? Don't just make one God. I mean, there's no way that one God can take care of all of our needs. One God could actually just get up and leave like this one did. Make us a lot of gods, Aaron. Gods that we can worship, that we can wrap our minds around, that we can feel close to. And so that's what Aaron does. Forty days is a long time to sit still. And the human heart is prone to wander. And so up on the mountain, God speaks to Moses. He tells him what's happened. And Moses comes down and he takes control of the camp. And he breaks the tablets and he melts down the calf and he makes them drink it. Exodus 32 verses 30 through 32 say this. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They've made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. And so Moses offers himself as a sacrifice for the sin of God's people. But God turns him down. He doesn't say yes. He doesn't let Moses die as a sacrifice. It's almost like he says, Moses, someone has to die for this. The covenant has been broken. But you're not qualified to fix it. 
You see, sometimes we mistakenly think that grace is a New Testament concept. It's not. We think it's not present in the Old Testament, but it is. It's also in the New Testament, but it's in both. No human being was qualified to be a sacrifice for the sin of God's people. Just like no human being was qualified to be a sacrifice for Adam and Eve's sin. Because a sacrifice has to be perfect. Now Moses had no way of knowing that one day in the future God would send his son to be that perfect sacrifice. That forgiveness and grace would be purchased with the blood of God's own son. For Moses, it was just grace. It probably didn't feel like grace because there was a price, a terrible price, and you can read about it on your own through the rest of the story. It hurts me not to talk about it, but I don't want to get distracted. But that price didn't purchase God's grace. It burned a memory into the soul of God's people that a terrible cost is paid when we forget about the presence of God, when our hearts turn away from the mountain and toward idols. A terrible cost is paid. You see, God's people failed to remember something very important. They failed to remember that he was there. And so often you and I, we are guilty of the exact same thing. At some point in your life, most of you here decided to commit your life to Jesus. And you did that because you knew he was there. You realized he was real and that he is more important than anything else in your life. For you, you realized the mountain was on fire. But for some reason, we have incredibly short memories. Even though the reason for our belief never needs to change, the experiences we had are still the experiences we had. The reasons for our belief are still the reasons for our belief. Even so, if we let ourselves drift, we will grow cold. Because even though the mountain is on fire, we fail to make ourselves look. We fail to remind, to remember. And that's what we need to do. Whatever the reasons for your belief are, you need to remember the mountains on fire. You have to nurture it. You have to think of it often. You have to tell the story. You've got to nurture your faith. That's why church is so important. It's this this weekly rhythmic reminder that God is there, that God is real, that there's a reason you believe the things that you believe. Because if you fail to hold on to those, there will come a day when they feel far away and hard to recall. Church is a reminder Rhythmically, that nothing matters like he does. Whatever other practices you have, whatever Sabbaths you have, they're reminders. God is there. But we can't stop with remembering. You can't just stop with reminding yourself that he's there. To to, to remind yourself that he's there and not respond to that would be like going to, to band practice every day and never picking up an instrument. It'd be like going to class every day and and never listening to a teacher. 
It'd be like going to work every day and never picking up a pen or turning on a computer or whatever it is that you do. It's not enough just to, just to remember. We have to respond to his presence. You are capable of coming to church every week and not allowing yourself to be stirred up. You are capable of hearing week after week, admonishment after admonishment, to love your neighbor, to go before the Lord's throne in prayer, to dive into his word, but let it sit and not respond to his presence. That can happen, but we must practice. We call that practice devotions or, or holy habits. It's like going to the Bible and reading and realizing, you know what? This doesn't make a lot of sense. I read two chapters and I understood absolutely none of it. And then saying to yourself, but even so, I'm going to read again. You could practice this way. You could read the book of Leviticus. I say Leviticus because it's usually the one people say they have the hardest time getting through. You could read it every week. And that first week and probably the second, you're going to think, what in the world did I just read? There's laws about mold in the corner of your house? Like, why? And if you did it for a year, do you know what would happen? Absolutely confident you'd no longer be able to finish the book without weeping because you'd be absolutely aware of a God who cares about every single part of your life, a God who's present and passionate and available to you. You see, that's how practicing works. When you go and you pick up an instrument, you're bad at it at first. Some people aren't, and we all dislike those people. If you're one of them, I'm sorry if none of, no one told you, but no one's real happy about that. But you, you usually have to pick it up and try, and try, and it's embarrassing and humiliating. Who wants to admit that they can't press buttons on a box and make sound that sounds good come out, right? But it's true. But over time, you practice and you practice and you practice and something starts to happen. You go to his word again and again and again and something starts to happen. You go before him in prayer and at the beginning, your mind wanders and you can't, you can't focus, you can't think and it feels like nothing's happening. And then you make it a practice, a holy habit, day after day after day after day and something starts to change the sense of his presence becomes real and your heart begins to transform to be more like him first you have to remember that he's there and then you have to practice his presence and it's when we do that that the power of God's Holy Spirit will work in us and through us in powerful ways and make us more like him. And that change, it's eternal. It's forever. It doesn't stop. But it equips you to be used by him then to bring that change to those and to the world around you. So what I want to challenge you to today is to remember that the mountain's on fire. That whatever reason for your belief in the beginning has not left. 
And I'd encourage you to write it down, to speak it, to remember it, and then to make a commitment, perhaps for the first time, And if it is for the first time that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, that is wonderful. Please come and speak to Ben or I. We'd love to talk to you about that. And if not, if it's something you've done before, then you commit to practicing again and you begin a life lived out practicing the presence of God. Please pray with me. Father God, we come before you thankful for blessings, Lord. We love you and we praise you. And we ask for you to be with us. God, we want to remember you. But the more that we try to make these changes, to make these commitments and live them out on our own, the more absolutely certain we will become that we can't. Something's wrong inside of us, Lord. We are not capable of what we aspire to. But Lord, you know that. You know us through and through and you love us. And we thank you for the gift of your spirit, which empowers us not to get it right, but Lord, to aim for it over and over and over again. And in that process, become the men and women you want us to be, to become more like your son more in tune with you. Lord, we pray that you would sharpen our failing memory, that you'd help us to remember, to look for you, and to never turn away. To always remember, Lord, that the mountain is on fire. And Lord, we ask for the strength to respond, to practice, and to change. We pray these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.